Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. This week on the podcast, we're in for an absolute female specialty uh, because we have Debbie Sargent on the podcast. She is uh, a lecturer, has been an S&C coach, has done gymnastics when she was uh, younger, is an author, speaker, um, and specialised in all sorts of stuff, to be fair, within the world of strength and conditioning, but specialising in training female athletes. And that is something that me and Tim need to brush up on a little bit, having not been females ourselves. Ain't that right, Tim? Yeah, I saw Debbie speak at the UK Strength and Conditioning Association conference in 2019, and she did a great presentation, which was really eye-opening for me. We mentioned it towards the end of the podcast, but this is a real frontier in sports science. It's such a new area, and it's bringing a lot of considerations to how traditionally, or reflections on how we've trained athletes in the past, and how females particularly um, can improve their training around things such as the menstrual cycle, and we talk a bit about contraceptive um, pills as well, and how all of these things are unique to females, and throw into the mix of how to maximize a training program there's some absolute knowledge in this one and we really hope that it is going to be useful in helping people to understand their own bodies and then therefore change their training program accordingly yeah and there is a little bit of something for everyone um on that to be fair it's not ju- it's obviously heavily uh that that um heavily into the sort of the menstrual cycle and the, and the and the females that need to she's got so much great information and advice but for all of us out there we can take something away from it and particularly even at the start we actually kick off by talking about her experiences she's worked in um uh in gymnastics with the, the scottish institute and also as an snc coach and been a gymnast herself so uh, we talk a lot about a little bit at the beginning around bodyweight training and how that's relevant within gymnastics and that sort of snc environment so that was uh, interesting to kick off with as well before we take that deep dive into uh, training the female athlete yeah, we just want to say a big thank you to Red Light Rising for sponsoring the School of Calisthenics podcast. These guys have got an awesome product, and particularly in times where we are sort of thinking that health, well-being, and performance recovery are particularly important to us, um, go and check out their website, redlightrising.co.uk, to just find out a little bit more about red light therapy and the benefits of it. And if you want to go a little bit more deep dive, we she did a podcast with Brian and James and you can go and listen to that and then we're talking all things about the benefits of standing in front of big red lights for about 10 minutes twice a day doesn't sound like a lot but there's a hell of a lot of benefits to be had from using one yeah it's all research based and it's it's actually acting at a cellular level to help improve that health performance and recoveries as Tim mentioned and uh, they've got a lovely uh, discount for School of Calisthenics podcast listeners um, and that is 5% off any of their red light therapy products with the code SOC5 so that's code SOC5 and you can find all the details of those products at redlightrising.co.uk think about all the benefits of the sun inside your own home <laughs> that is, that's that okay. actually we need to do their marketing campaign that is a great that is a great line and uh, on that on that beautiful note I'm not Tim, sure if I've not already stolen that from them all right maybe okay maybe it is <laughs> But anyway, on that beautiful sentiment, let's roll that jingle. So I'm super excited for this one. Debbie Sargent, welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for the invite. Oh, it's that was like pleasure. a hello when you like answer the phone. It's like, 
<laughs> you know, a, a, a call you think it's like a business, and I'm trying to think like a withheld number. You're like, hello. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was expecting there, but like, it caught me off guard a little bit. Hi, good to, it's right, well, good to be here, and thank you for the invite. No, our pleasure. We sort of often tend to stay away from trying to do bios for people because more times than not, we end up butchering it um, to give people the lofty kind of welcome to the podcast. So, for people out there, um, just give them some, them a little bit of background and information about yourself, your training background as a strength and conditioning coach, practitioner, lecturer. Um, you've been in the game for a long time and, and, and uh, lots of experience to share. So tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I've always been like sporty. Like I did a lot of sports when I was younger, like all the classic like team sports you do at school. But also like I was a gymnast, a women's artistic gymnast. So that's all the four bits of apparatus. And then obviously with that, you do like, you know, dance training and various other things. So that's kind of um, I suppose I've always been involved and I suppose my body type lends itself to strength and power based activities. Um, so I've always been into sport, but I went to uni, I went to the University of Birmingham and I did an undergrad in sport and exercise science because back in those days, strength and conditioning didn't really exist. Um, but I guess I've always done strength and conditioning. It just never had a, like that label. Um, so I went and did an undergrad in um, sport and exercise science. And at that time, I did lots of coaching qualifications and fitness qualifications um, and then I basically got a job in like sport development um, and all of my jobs really have been in higher education so sport development and I've worked probably across my career worked the whole span from special populations as in cardiac rehab all the way up to kind of elite world champions uh, people going to olympics and so on so and um, probably across my career i've progressed from that more like um recreational development type towards more elite performance and so obviously strength and conditioning has become a much bigger part of that um physical preparation um but a lot of the things that i learned while i was doing like personal training and like um, sports specific coaching I've taken into SNC because obviously they're generic skills in terms of how you communicate, how you motivate, how you program, all of those things. So really that's kind of where I've been for the last um, maybe about you know, like 10, 12 years now is like high performance sports. So um, I've had different roles within that. So I've always been an SNC coach, but I've had, um, other roles which have involved like more management and athlete support so holistic management of, of athlete development um, and also when I've been having these jobs in higher education I've always done quite a lot of coaching so I've always worked within a lot of national governing bodies either delivering coaching or delivering coach education um, and part of that was with the Scottish Institute of Sport as one of one of the examples. And so, like, obviously, I've worked with people across a lot of different levels, either just supervising programs that other people have written and then, um, you know, having more of a lead role in some of those things. Um, and so that that's kind of where I got to. I think I got to a point in my career where I realized that I love coaching and, um, and strength conditioning and I was being... Um, dragged a little bit more away from the day-to-day to delivery of that and I realized that that wasn't making me very happy so I took the decision to kind of um, look for other jobs and that's how I ended up down in the University of Gloucestershire where I, I, I went originally as a technical demonstrator um, uh, at that university there's an undergrad and postgraduate in um, a very you know a really good one in um, uh, their undergrad and postgrad so I went there because 
um, you know, I looked into the course, looked into the people there, and I just thought it'd be a really nice place to work. And it has been a really good developmental position for me to have. So I went there as a technical demonstrator and uh, opportunity came where I then stepped up into lecturing role, which I've been doing since September. Um, but I still continue to like coach on the task program and mentor a lot of our students who are on coaching programs and things like that. So, um, and also like one of the things on my big wish list has been to, um, to do a PhD. I've wanted to do that for a really, really long time, but I guess I've never really been in the right place at the right time for that to be able to happen. Whereas now I'm kind of obviously actively looking at um, starting that and I've been doing some things around, um, you know, trainability of female athletes. That's generally where my interests kind of lie. So that, that's where I am now and uh, I'm really enjoying being there. And a published author, which you missed off there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is strength and conditioning for female athletes. Um, so obviously there's a, there's a specialism there that we want to dive, dive into today. But that was co-written with Keith Barker, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I work with, uh, well, I still uh, work with UKCA. So I'm a tutor trainer assessor for UKCA. So like the, one of the really good things that I love about, about working for that organisation is just the breadth of people and the expertise that you are kind of exposed to. And like Keith and I, um, worked have worked together and Keith has worked with a lot of female athletes and had a lot of experience um, with that and um, we got approached uh, through the UKCA about um, inviting people to, um, to to write this book and so Keith and I um, put ourselves forwards and like you know that's where we've ended up we ended up writing that together so yeah, that was a few years ago now. Um, I probably would write it differently now, actually. So, but that's the case always, isn't it, with a book? You would. Yeah, yeah. Change that's it. why you got to do your PhD because you can now yeah. do some uh, some new knowledge. Yeah. I got to give a shout out to Keith. He uh, he was there on my uh, UKCA accreditation. And he was very 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 nice to me. Yeah. Um, so I just want to give him a big big thank you from me. <laughs> he let you through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's a really good guy, and like he's got a lot a lot of insight and a lot of experience. And um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Great coach. It was a good, um, it was a good combination, I think. So, yeah. Amazing. So, before we get into the details and some conversation around training female athletes in, um, specifically, um, let's just touch on some of that, that depth that you've got from a strength and conditioning um, perspective, Devin. And we just before we started recording, we had a really interesting conversation about how calisthenics might fit into an athlete's training program or into a periodized plan throughout a year. And, and particularly thinking about a lot of people now who. Um, are in a lockdown situation, possibly been working in, in a gym previously, doing a whole host of, of different things, and are now at home looking at potentially doing more body weight or calisthenics type exercises. Have you got any thoughts around how that might fit into a program and how best to utilize that form of training? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with any kind of mode of training, there's a time and a place for everything, and it's just making sure that you're using. You, you know you're using those methods appropriately um, and obviously body weight exercise is one of those one of those things um, I think um, so um, it depends it, you know if, if like I suppose if we take aside like the the kind of needs analysis bit that we do and whether those exercises are relevant I think um, what we're looking at is is getting somebody like stronger and one of the ways that we need to do that is producing overload so um you know if you're moving your body weight you know depending on your body weight that can be you know enough mass or enough overload to kind of get the training adaptation that you want 
Um, so um, I would say it's always a first port of call is can someone move, manage their body weight and move their body weight and do that technically well. Um, so and then from there, you can then when someone has good alignment, good movement and they can have control of their body weight, then they can start doing more loaded programs. Um, I think a couple of things there in terms of the transition, because overload is obviously the big driver for adaptation. So um, I think some people get maybe stuck into doing body weight exercises for too long so that they don't have that continual overload progression. So I think there's a key thing about it's somewhere to start, but people need to recognize when when's a good time to move on from that. So if you if you're doing like a you know, a plank exercise and you can hold a plank exercise for five minutes. Um, there's a kind of, well, when you get to maybe, you know, if you look at screening tools, like they're saying, well, can you hold it for two minutes? If you can hold it for two minutes, you need to start overloading it with something else. So I think sometimes people get a little bit stuck there and maybe they need to move on. I think equally like, um, you know, obviously body weight exercises form part of like warm ups. They form part of maybe some prehab routines. Um, and I think sometimes as well as a coach, is that we assume that if someone appears to be really quite strong in a movement pattern that they can do a that they can do a you know a body weight exercise so if someone can um you know overhead press uh you know more than their body weight you'd maybe think they could they'd be quite good at doing a press up but actually sometimes i find that people that are um on the face of it really strong find those exercises really difficult and really challenging and actually if they do them um, and there must be a reason for that. So maybe there's a compensation going on that is exposed when they do that exercise. Um, but I think also when you do them, uh, I think one of the key things in terms of programming and where they fit is making sure that they're done properly. So, um, you know, you only get the adaptation from an exercise if you do the exercise in the way that it was intended. And I think sometimes um, we miss a trick by thinking, oh, it's just a body weight exercise. Um, you know, it's maybe a lower level exercise to maybe compared to some of the other strength based exercises we do. And we just need to get through them without any kind of diligence around how someone's doing that movement, you know. And so the athlete needs to understand that they still need to do those exercises properly. And the coach understands that those athletes still need supervision on those exercises to make sure that the overload is, is kind of happening. Um, so um, is there a time and a place for it? Yeah, there is. I think also um there are a lot of really challenging body weight exercises so i think it's about coaches if they're going to use it um just thinking more beyond like a press up and a and a, and a, and a pistol squat there are lots of things and i know that we were talking before uh, we started um recording you know about gymnastics moves so i think as a coach it's it's putting some time and effort into looking at a whole like regression progression model for body weight exercises so that the the person you're coaching has got a, a, you know appropriate um kind of overload for that um to say something else and now i can't remember what i was going to say but yeah they're, they're, they're basically um the, i suppose some of the key points that i would be thinking about that... yeah because we can i oh, sorry uh, just what were, we, were you going to say something else no i was going to say does that answer your question vaguely or uh yeah no definitely like but often people get an answer from us around it sort of it depends there's so much context as to why we would use certain exercises and certain overloads um certain progressions regressions etc of um and of for each different individual or an athlete and or different um, parts of the season or uh, parts of someone's program and it's sort of periodically 
Um, and just interested, or oh, there was two things I was interested in, sort of um, initially when you were talking about the plank example, it was like going for, add, it sounded like sort of adding additional load to progress it, um, whereas we've got lots of options addi- like as, as well as that um, of actually just changing the exercise, whatever it may be, to to still progress it. We can, we can make the sort of effective load harder by challenging the the position or the lever lengths and, and that type of stuff that somebody's um somebody's actually in rather than having to always jump onto load potentially yeah no, just any thoughts on that yeah you know I, I kind of like yeah that i i kind of agree with you like you know like it's recognizing and um, well it comes down to what are you what are you doing the exercise for so yeah what, exactly. what, what, what's the objective of the exercise what adaptation am i looking for and can i get it from doing that exercise and and probably more so from that is like if I'm going to use that exercise, what variation of that exercise do I need to use to give appropriate overload? Um, so so yeah, and like and and I think also is that some people I think we could be a lot smarter as S and C coaches in spending more time exploring how we can make a bodyweight exercise more challenging or less challenging because then we'll have a lot more versatility in our programs and i think also like for bodyweight exercises one of the big um reasons um you know one of the big advantages of them are one you don't need any equipment and two if you've got an athlete that you don't see very much because they're traveling or they don't like now a perfect example where maybe they don't have any equipment then your knowledge of being able to appropriately find the right variation for that person can be really really useful so yeah I'm, I, I guess um I'm thinking you know um when you've gone through all those progressions of body weight exercises then there probably will still come a point for most people where the only option is maybe additional load or a different, you know, um, uh, you know, another exercise where you can add more overload. But I, I, I do agree with you that actually as coaches, we could probably have a bit much bigger repertoire of body weight progressions that would more effectively overload for longer without the introduction of load. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask one other question, Tim, before we yeah, dump, it, dump yeah. into the female bit? Um, the, uh, just really interesting. So someone that has um, done gymnastics yourself um, and then also coached or been in the sort of from a strength and conditioning point of view in the, in the gymnastics environment. Um, interested to know, obviously, when they're perform- everything that they're performing is body weight. Um, and they do some incredible feats of strength. You know, we talk about calisthenics as a, a poor man's gymnastics. It's just minus the leotards and the sort of pointy toes. It's a little bit more rough around the edges. But how much... Um, well, I know speaking to a friend that's been a physio um, in gymnastics for a while and getting, I think, getting S&C into that environment was was challenging when it first sort of started to work its way in because they're doing so much strength work in their just general all-round training, they do so much training because they've got so much different apparatus to work on. What does a what does sort of an SNC program look like? How much input or or how much sort of traditional like weightlifting style stuff do they do? Like, do they do do they do any, or is it just part mainly a bit more sort of rehabby type of stuff? Like, where does it? Just interested to know where it, where it fits in. And you've had experience both as a as an athlete doing gymnastics when you were younger as well as being the snc coach yeah yeah good like, really good question like I, I think like um you know like when i i mean i was doing gymnastics from maybe age six seven 
um, you know, and I got really strong. So when I, you know, and the reason I know that is because when I started doing traditional type training, I was just really strong, you know, like, um, so obviously like the sport prepares you, you know, absolutely gets you stronger and you, you, you kind of, uh, that, that's kind of an obvious thing. I think with um, that kind of training is within your needs analysis, there is that recognition that of how much load you're getting through the sport and that's significant in gymnastics. So, um, you know, if you're landing from heights like an A bar or landing from a vault, you can have like, you know, 18 times body weight going through your body, like every time you land. And if you think about how many landings someone does across a training week when they may be training 20, 25 hours a week, that's a significant amount of loading in there. So you do have to always consider what load happens in the sport and then obviously like as they get more towards competition so that you know with gymnastics there's um you know if you're just learning skills um and then you've maybe progressed to partial and then full routines obviously the load accumulated with those high impact landings is is um it, it is significant um again there's a couple of things i suppose from my experience of working with the gymnasts is, is with um you know, so you, there is a, there is, I've, cause when I went in, I was like, oh, this is going to be really ace working with gymnasts. You know, they're going to be people that are going to generally move well. They're going to have good range of movement. They're going to be really strong. So how exciting to work with a group of people where you can really, you know, you know, maybe train them in a way that you haven't been able to train other people because they, they already have that basic level of ability, but actually I was really surprised. So obviously we did like screening processes with them and actually their movement quality um, in some really basic things like squatting, um, you know, single leg kind of work, actually it wasn't there. So I think for S&C, in terms of s and it's, it's um, you know, within, when, they be, when they're doing their gymnastics training, it's like in a lot of sports, they will have, they were doing a lot of jumping and landing and loading, but the gymnastic coaches are not really focusing on their movement quality in those movements. They're focusing on the skill and everything that a sport specific skill, uh, sport specific coach should focus on. So a lot of the work that I was doing from an SSC perspective was highlighting maybe those compensations, movement deficiencies, um, and um, working with the gymnasts on like knee alignment. But then I suppose that the so it was a lot about movement education, um, and then the the challenge really then was how do you go from teaching someone what good movement is and getting them to be thinking about that to then going into a sport which is high load high high speed and still maintaining those jump you know those jump maybe jump and land um by, uh, mechanics so yeah. um with them like that was a little bit of a wake-up call for me because probably where they were actually in terms of movement quality and it's probably not a surprise because you know they've, they've been going through like you know growth and maturation um you know, no one's ever told them how to necessarily jump and land. So why would they, you know, know how to do it properly? Um, so there was a lot of things around that. Um, I would also say a lot of the adaptation to that that actual sport specific load is just right through the sheer volume of um, the sheer volume of um, work that they do. Um, and um, the point I was going to make yeah so it, it, it so what happens if they, if they're doing learning a skill what, I, what another kind of I suppose observation point when I was when I was working is that with gymnastics you kind of you do have regressions and progressions towards a skill 
but you kind of keep doing by repetition. You keep trying to learn the skill through repetition. So what I was observing as a coach was, um, you know, you do get better by practice, but also what I was thinking was um, that only works if the gymnasts themselves have the physical capability to do what, what's being asked of them in terms of that technical uh, challenge. So, um, you know, if somebody isn't strong enough to get enough airtime, there's only so many somersaults and how many twists they can do. It doesn't matter how many times they try, it doesn't matter how many times they practice, at the end of the day, they need to get stronger and more powerful so they can get in the air for longer to be able to have enough time to do those skills. So for me, I was kind of thinking, well, probably for me, like in terms of S and C wise, if, if I knew that my athletes were progressing onto a particular skill, if I could do a little bit of a needs analysis around that skill and think, right, okay, to be able to do this bowl or this tumble, you're going to need in general to be able to, um, you know, I don't know, be this strong or, you know, uh, be this kind of like in terms of like rate of force development if I can physically get those athletes to be at that level and then they get taught the skill the skill progression is going to be way quicker but probably more so and um, what was happening is a lot of the girls were being injured because they were having short landings and obviously lots of loads going through there um, you know they were getting tired through the skill repetition so I thought for an SNC person like I suppose the first thing is keeping your athletes healthy so um, if I can give them the physical capability to do the skill so that they don't go wrong when they're trying to do the skill, either because they're tired or they just don't have enough airtime or whatever, then that's going to save them in the long term in terms of injury. Because when they got injured from things like bad landings, often they were quite bad injuries because of the of the load and everything that was kind of going through the system. So in terms of S&C, does it have a place? Um, I, I, I mean, I think I've covered some of those things, but probably yeah, more, no, definitely. more from a... There's another aspect that actually I didn't realise till I started doing it is, you know, these girls are in a gymnastics environment for loads of hours a week. And actually just them going out to a different environment being surrounded by different coaches, different athletes of different sports. They just get a whole, it's, it's a rip. That's probably one of the things that they enjoyed the most is just being somewhere new, somewhere different, you know, understanding, you know, what strong means. So comparing themselves to maybe some of the other girls that are in the gym. So I, I think that was, cause in gymnastics, it's very, cause you spend so much time training, you know, just being exposed to different sports, um, I, th I think it was a really, really positive thing for them and they actually really enjoyed it. So um, I, th I think one of the key limit or the key challenges to the gymnastics initially was body, the whole body weight thing in terms of obviously power to weight ratio. And, um, you know, like the, uh, the girls and the coaches and probably everyone involved was a little bit uh, wary of, well, if I start doing some strength work, I, you know, I'm going to put on mass that I don't want. So that was um, so we had, you know, and I suppose in aesthetic sport, there's always a thing about, um, you know, uh, just being uh, cognizant of the fact that, you know, eating to sort, you don't you know, you don't want to um, do anything that might, um, I suppose, increase the susceptibility of someone to an eating disorder. So there was a lot of stuff around body weight and what might happen if they started doing a strength training program. Um, so I, so I think initially I was like, well, let's let, let's just do it and let's measure it and see what happens. And if and if it starts becoming a factor, then we'll we'll kind of deal with it. But I was conscious that when I was programming for them, I never kind of went into kind of hypertrophy type rep rep ranges. It was always quite low rep ranges to try and minimise that 
kind of um, in, increase in kind of muscle mass. But um, but I suppose it's useful muscle mass if we have it. So um, but actually, interestingly, that's what I, that's what I did. And um, people lost weight rather than gained weight and their body comp composition imp improved. But it was probably a little bit of a, um, you know, a little bit of a, a work in progress in terms, in terms of just trying to make that kind of come to fruition a little bit. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's generally the things that, that, that my thoughts on that, that side of it. There's some absolute gold in there for people mm. listening who are sort of training calisthenics around what the what are the elite sort of practices in a, in a gymnastics program uh, from a strength and conditioning environment. And, and the, the amazing thing you've done there, Debbie, is just back up a load of stuff that we tell people all the time. So it's amazing to, hear, to get your <laughs> advice and input on that. And, and they're just the key things to pull out from that is like focus on the basic quality of the movement. Like if you're not moving well, then it's it's going to be a problem because, yes, we might be able to get we'll, – we'll often see people come from other – areas or disciplines within training whether that be powerlifting um, bodybuilding crossfit or whatever into calisthenics and our focus as in gymnastics as jack has said without the artistic um, element really is just we want to try and move beautifully so a pull-up should look beautiful like it should look really well controlled but so many people struggle to do that um, and, and are disciplined enough to focus on the underlying quality of that movement and therefore they set themselves up for lack of progression or potential risk of of picking up niggles and injuries and and the second thing that we talk about all the time is as you, you so rightly say about um, getting stronger like skills are so much easier to learn when you're strong because you don't have to focus on the force element as much you've got as you say like for, for your guys it would have been like more airtime. whereas for, for us if we're trying to do like handstand push-ups or something if you know you're strong enough you don't have to focus as much on force production element you can actually direct your cognitive attention a bit more towards actually controlling the variables of the skill um so it's just really reassuring from our perspective i think and from people listening to um to hear that that's the same thing that's being done in elite gymnastics have you got anything jack on that because there's, there's some really good points in there no, no, I just echo your points, and I'm I'm keen actually to to get the, let's dive into the, uh, the 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 specialism of of training female athletes because I for one am not female and don't know what it is like to be a female. <laughs> Although you still end, but you still you still train female athletes. You have female clients, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to to get some uh, top quality uh, help and information for, for us, but then also everyone out there listening. And it's, it's guys out there as well. It's not just the, uh, it's not just the, the, for the females out there, if we can understand what's going on better, um, then we can help support whether it's, uh, it might be your, your wife or girlfriend or sister, or actually the, uh, someone that you work with if you're a trainer. Um, so let's, let's dive into that. Yeah, that yeah, perfect. So when I saw Debbie speak at the UKCA conference in 2019, you started off, Debbie, with something which really kind of like it was a great starting point for you, for you which teed up your presentation and I think captured the attention of everybody in the room, which is, I think, I don't know if it was a, if it was current at that time, but you said in three months of, of like analyzing the papers from the journals of strength and conditioning research, less than 20% of participants included in those studies were female and only um, two of those studies had actually tried to control for menstrual cycle. Um, just give us a little bit of, of uh, context around why that's so significant and um, what potential issues that's led to in terms of how we deliver training to an athlete population, and particularly females. Yeah, well, um, I just thought that, yeah, so I, I think, like, um, why it's relevant, let me ask that, let me try and answer that a little bit, is um, 
you know, male and female biology is different. Like, and, and what's always surprising to me is if we do like a research study, we think about how we prepare the subjects to come into the lab to do the study or whatever it might be. So we think about caffeine intake, we think about, you know, how much exercise they've done the day before, we think about time of day. And actually one of the biggest biorhythms in the, in the human body is the menstrual cycle. And like we go to, to this degree to kind of think about confounding variables, but we never think about that, that as a confounding variable. And that in itself is, you know, some papers describe it as the second biggest biorhythm in, 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 you know, in humans. And it's like, so we're just ignoring that. So it, it's going to have an effect. Um, so I, I think it's important and the, the relevance of it is highlighted in some of the literature that already exists. So um, as you know, if we coach in females, we look at literature to, to as evidence-based practice. So in the absence of there being much information about females, we will typically look at information that hasn't included females, like that, that is kind of based on the male um, physiology so, and biology. So, um, and, you know, there are things that we can definitely take from that, but there are some papers that, um, that, that when you read them is that um, there is quite a big, sometimes the response that you get from a female group is different to the response of a male group. Um, and because the studies haven't, and so I think there's a lot of things that we need to do, which are basically just re replicating studies that have been done on males to see whether the same response happens when we do it to females. Some studies show that, you know, not only do, are the results, um, you know, different, they're, 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 there's a massive difference, either, as in like it's a positive effect in a male population and a negative effect in a female. So potentially we're making real decisions about training that actually are fundamentally not right for our athletes. Um, I think also in some of the studies as well, a lot of the time males and females are mixed into, into, um, into each other. And so like, as we know, with any kind of study we look at, it's individual responses to training. So not everybody will respond in the right way. And we need to understand why some people may respond to the training and why some people might not respond to the training, you know, and how much of it, how much of an adaptation that you might get. So um, one papers, I, like, I, I guess I, I would like more papers to report individual responses to training, but more than that report, and, and that becomes really relevant when you've got a mixed group. So then you would be able to look at, you know, within a group, does a female respond differently to, to a male? Um, so, that, so that's probably why it's kind of really important um, or some of the reasons why it's really important. Um, I think re the reasons why people don't include females is because it's too complex and it's too challenging. And I think anybody, the more you get into that topic area, the more you realize how, what a minefield it is. And I've, I've been collecting some data now with, um, with um, some groups of people from uh, St. Mary's University and other people within the UOG institution. And like fundamentally, like actually measuring the menstrual cycle actually finding a reliable and accurate way of measuring the menstrual cycle at the minute is is extremely difficult and i, I wouldn't say I, I i can tell you how i think we should do it because and i think there's so i almost feel like because it's so difficult a thing people just it's just an insurmountable thing and people then choose to kind of ignore it um but but in my point of view if we really want to understand our female athletes we've really got to kind of try and understand how we how we do that um, and I think also the papers that report that they've measured it have been tried to measure it. Like if, like, I don't know if you, like, if you've read any papers, you'll probably start noticing that actually the detail in those papers in terms of 
what they've done, how they've measured it, the evidence for being in a certain phase of the cycle is just not put into the paper. So I'm becoming like, I, I suppose I'm a little bit skeptical about how well have they done that if they say that they've done that. Um, so that there are some issues there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely when I did, I did my master's, uh, research master's a few years ago now, it was definitely something which was discussed in, in the research methods uh, module around population choices and, and the sorts of people that you're going to try and use for your participants. And it was brought up that like recommendation in some ways, it's probably harsh to say that word, but people were advised about using female participants because of the complexities of designing a study. And for master's students, you could argue whether that's the right thing or not because of, of what they're trying to do from a, um, a paper's perspective. But I, I completely agree with you. And, and um, it really highlighted a point to me when you said that, that we've all, as coaches, we've trained female athletes and there'll be females listening who are training them um, themselves using what we would say is like standard recommended practices from a strength and conditioning literature and, and scientific evidence base, but may not be relevant or uh, that's probably the wrong word may not be. We, there's more behind that story that we should be aware of. Just um, talk a little bit around that, Debbie, because you make a great point around that. And, and one of the things that I wrote down again from your talk was that hormone levels can affect perceived rate, uh, perceived rate, rate of perceived exertion. That's why I've written that down from my notes. I'm reading verbatim from that, but can effectively sort of influence how hard people think a certain exercise is can you just talk around how like the hormones that, that are at play and how they can impact um an, an athlete um or the physiology in terms of its response to training yeah i i think that's really difficult as well because for me there's two basically the hormones are going to affect two things they potentially can affect physiology and they can affect how you respond to training but they can also affect your psychology as well and your well-being and your readiness to train so again, I think that how, how on earth do we ever discriminate between the two? <laughs> it, and I, I, like, I don't know how on earth we are ever gonna be able to study that. But if you think about, um, you've basically got two phases of the menstrual cycle, you've got um, a follicular phase and a luteal phase, and in the middle you have ovulation. Um, day one of your menstrual cycle is the, day, the first day of bleeding. Um, and probably the hormones that fluctuate across that menstrual cycle um, is, you know, is estrogen and progesterone. So generally, estrogen is a is a good hormone for females. It's protective. Um, it builds muscle. It um, helps you with your kind of recovery. So anytime where estrogen is high, generally, um, also the mood state, you know. Hang on, let me explain this better. So, so yeah, so we're looking at estrogen and progesterone, and in the follicular phase, estrogen's high, and in the in the luteal phase, you've got estrogen and progesterone. And progesterone is basically catabolic hormone. Um, so it it kind of it's almost like uh, the opposite of what you're trying to trying to achieve when you're kind of training, because you're in more of a catabolic state. Um, so there there are in terms of like how that affects. Uh, and also when you think about um, the first phase of the menstrual cycle, basically psychologically well-being wise, um, your energy levels, your, your fatigue levels are more favorable towards training. So the first half of that menstrual cycle up to ovulation is, and maybe just slightly after it, um, like from a well-being point of view, people can be really up for training, plus they can train really hard because their body's allowing them to do that. Um, and then as they get more towards the luteal phase, that's when maybe the negative side effects of like premenstrual uh, syndrome start to happen. Um, and they're already in this kind of like ca more catabolic state. Um, so um, 
there's definitely a um, you know a, a window in that follicular phase where we can kind of really push athletes. I think linking into your um, rate of perceived exertion thing there, there's some theory around how um, how those hormones affect the, the your substrate utilization. So obviously, if we want to do really high intensity activity, we want to be good at burning carbohydrate, or we, you know that's how we do high intensity exercise. But um, when estrogen is high, it suggests that maybe your ability to maybe you come and become a better fat burner um, compared to um, compared to like using carbohydrates. So um, you know, if you speak to coaches um, about female athletes and and their programming and some like anecdotally what they report is they'll often report that when if they compare some males and females that for some females um they seem to be able to like do more endurance based work but maybe when you know not it's it's it, there's something about their ability to do maximal efforts whereas in guys they seem much more able to do maximal efforts but maybe endure those maximal efforts for 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 a smaller period of time. So it's it's almost to do with the substrate utilization of that. So um, if you are, you know, if you're if you're able to burn carbohydrate, um, then you're probably going to be able to do maximum intensity efforts. And if you're psychologically feeling well, then you're going to be able to push yourself harder. Um, estrogen, because it so at times maybe when estrogen's lower, that's when we're better able to use our carbohydrate. Um, and provided our mental state allows us, that might increase our ability to train and train really hard and increase obviously our, our perceived exertion of that because we're doing that. Um, so sometimes though, when estrogen is low, which is when you're actually in your menstrual bleed, you generally, some people don't feel good. So it doesn't always, I think there's, there's lots of things around the hormones and the, the beneficial effect of those hormones can either be because those hormones exist or because they don't exist at particular times of the cycle. So there's definitely a lot of things going on. I think one of the one of the key things with this um, whole like menstrual cycle thing though is I think a lot of people just think that your menstrual cycle is your menstrual bleed. What people forget is there's a whole load of um, hormones going around in the body and just because you haven't got your menstrual bleed doesn't mean that those hormones are not doing something to your body and actually recognizing that that cycle is a whole four weeks or five weeks or three weeks whatever your cycle is like the fact is that um even though you're not bleeding there are things going on that are affecting your ability to train and your your perception of that um, yeah can i just jump in Deborah? because just yeah. literally on that i was i was just as you were talking i was just thinking um how those those change you took those changes obviously in the hormones that are going on throughout that cycle and everyone's cycle is a little bit different um it's interesting though that there's there's hormone changes that happen for men and women every day as we like go throughout our day but we can come back to later but the um that those changes that are happening through the month having an effect on um, someone's ability to do different types of training from your experience how how well equipped or how um, well understood from a from an athlete's point of view or from someone that is you know just a, an avid gym trainer um, or, or fitness enthusiast at home how how much are they likely to be aware of that and could this actually help explain to them why some days 
during their training they feel better than others and and do you suggest i'm sort of thinking is there a suggestion that people should actually map out some of that stuff throughout their month so that they can get a bit of a a bit better educated about why they're doing better on some days than others that type of thing does that make sense yeah um yeah um will most people be uh, unaware of this yeah so i I suppose one of the interesting things of actually having collected some data now is like you would like like i would assume actually well i assume that um that people like like so one of the questions we might ask someone coming into the lab is okay like you know just you know generally what's your menstrual cycle like you know how long is your your cycle length and probably most people just go oh i'm not sure i don't know and so, and, and, and I think it's probably because they just accept it's part of their female physio biology and they just get on and do it and it just comes and goes and they don't really think about it. So when you actually ask somebody that question, they just don't know, they just don't know. Um, so you start, you know, menstrual cycle duration is really easy to track, you know, day one, you can, you know, it's your first day if you bleed. And then obviously, you know, how long your cycle is. Um, and so that in itself for athletes is quite a um, useful tool for them to have. But then if they just kind of map on top of that, it's, it, you know, you can get a lot of information, like just noting down, like how long your bleed phase is, that's kind of useful. And then maybe even just like in sort of like well-being measures or in your coach, your, your, um, your, um, your, your, your monitoring data or whatever it is you can just note how you're feeling at particular times and and actually when you start getting people to do that they start then thinking oh yeah because normally I feel like this when I'm on my menstrual bleed or you know normally you know um just before I come on like exercise is really difficult you know I feel really down about everything and like so they then they start to reflect on it and they start to see patterns so I don't think it's that they've not recognized their own uh, monthly cycle and pattern um, I just think they haven't put two and two together but as soon as you start getting them even remotely thinking about that then they can start saying oh yeah so um, an example of that is like um, I went to a football club recently and did a um, presentation to some of the players on um, menstrual cycle and I just said to them um, like basically here's some here's a little bit of a lowdown on the menstrual cycle and to be honest a lot of them that was they they had no idea about what was going on uh they yeah. they had no idea what hormones were involved and the fact that these hormones were still doing something to them and their ability to train even when they maybe didn't realize um yeah. and but they there was some really consistent messages coming out there actually in terms of when they felt tired when they felt that their level of skill um because obviously ovulation well ovulation is a, is a point where maybe there's an increased risk of injury maybe there's a little bit lack of spatial awareness and things that happen at that time and so when you start um educating yeah, it must be them, a stressor on the system presumably to yeah, some degree yeah and but when you speak to them they can they can identify you know patterns in training but they just start putting things together so that was yeah. that was i um, imagine mentally that's really beneficial for people to 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 help understand from a I, I just imagine that from yeah from a mental perspective being actually really quite quite positive and not only then after that be able to like use that information to 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 put stuff into place put action in there to to help them train better recover better and that sort of thing and take all of that into consideration rather than yeah rather than thinking just some days stuff isn't feeling quite right yeah 
Yeah, I, I guess we're all guilty, aren't we, of taking things quite personally, like, especially when we want to kind of perform, like, you know, so we maybe like over reflect that. But I do think it does give people a little bit of a break because, yeah. you know, like if you if you understand your own cycle and you understand the patterns of things that go on with that, um, you know, you, you can plan your training around that. So if you generally know that you're going to feel really rubbish for a week and you normally feel really rubbish for about five days and just make that your deload week. And then, yeah. and, and then, and then when you've done your deload week, then you know that the next couple of weeks I can really go for it. So I'm going to yeah. really, like really a, go for it. Yeah. It's like a natural, a natural deload week for a lot of us. We find it hard. Some, some of us find it really difficult to deload. So it's actually quite a good, um, marker on that. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the goal all the time, isn't it, is to have autonomous athletes. So you want educated athletes, you want autonomous athletes. And I, th- and I yeah. think the hope of this was that understand your bodies a little bit more, try and understand your training and how your, how your menstrual cycle might, may or may not affect that. So for some people, it doesn't, you know, they, it doesn't really affect them at all, really. You know, um, but for other people, they're really affected. So it's like be aware of if it does affect you, how much it affects you what types of training you get affected, how it affects you physically and mentally. And and I think the idea is that if we can educate people around those things, then they can start reflecting on training and they can start thinking about planning training. So, you know, they could then come to the coaches and say, um, you know, um, I'm not feeling like I'm really not feeling like training today. I'm I'm really not there. Like, I mean, some people are just debilitated by the whole thing. I mean, some people struggle to get out of bed at times when they're feeling really rubbish. So like, you know, as a coach, if you understand all of that, you can help them manage that and support them through it. But like, equally, if they just know, right, I just need to ride this and I'm just going to go in and I'm going to do some recovery and I'm going to do some, you know, just gentle stuff because exercise may make some of those symptoms a little bit um, easier to deal with anyway. Like if I know that's going to happen, but I know that, 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 you know, by, by next week, I'm going to be back on it and I'm going to be pushed really hard, you know, like, I think that's a lot easier to kind of, well, one, you're you're maximizing those windows of adaptation, aren't you? And you're, you're, it's a natural, it's another, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but it's another thing that can help you manage fluctuation in training load, um, you know, intensity changes across weeks of mesocycles. It just, it just for me, for me, I just think even if you are not measuring hormone levels in blood or saliva and you're literally just educating your athletes and in in that process, you're also educating yourself as a coach and you're working together to just say, okay, how can we use this to, to get more out of your training? I don't think I know any athlete who wouldn't want that conversation. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that jump out to me there that like, there is a certain level of, um, of importance that we need as, as an individual we'd need to take action of uh, i'm always thinking like journaling but certain like journaling or documenting and being because you said like reflecting and you need to um be aware of where you're at and, and, and you're only going to figure that out by mapping that out during a few cycles and start to see some of those um some of those commonalities that happen that, that come around each time that we're going through that I say we, um, but you know, they're going through that cycle. And then um, there's probably two, there's probably two sides to it that um, if you're a, uh, if you're a sort of a professional athlete or an athlete working in a team and you've got a, or you're, you're in a sport where you've got a structure to your, your training, it might, you know, it might be that you play football and there's a game every week and you're going to have to try to work with your team and your coach to just 
mould that slightly, but you can't get away from the fact that there's a game on Saturday or Sunday or wherever it may be. Um, or the the flip side of that is that you're a um, you don't have that rigid structure and that you actually were a fitness enthusiast. We're, we're at home and we're training or we're in the gym, wherever it may be, and you're in complete control of what you do every day and and throughout a whole month and whatever that may be. And so that then you can actually really take advantage of that and plan that out. And I think that leads on to quite. Does that make sense? Is that am yeah, I on the yeah. right lines? Yeah. Um, there was a question. You had a question, Tim, from Jenny around using that almost to your yeah. advantage. Yeah, I think um, Debbie's probably covered a couple of these things, but um, I've got to give a shout out to, to Jenny. She's um, an incredible... Jenny um, Biscuit. Uh, Jenny Biscuit is a DJ. DJ. <laughs> Former <laughs> But she's an absolute legend. I hope she's listening. She was, she was one of the ones that, um, that inspired this conversation really from a couple of good questions. So she sent me through some great stuff to, to go through. Um, one of the questions that she, she asked Debbie, and this is probably some real takeaway stuff for people, is is, there a, is it possible to turn her menstrual cycle from a bit of a hindrance, that it currently isn't in her own words, into an advantage or, or a superpower? And maybe, the, I don't know if it's the same kind of thing, because obviously it's going to be quite a generic answer you're able to give, but most people will have different different kind of cycles and processes that, that, that are going on but if there was a standard training guide around the menstrual cycle what might that that look like yeah i uh, yeah I, I think you can turn it into a superpower actually because there are you know estrogen in particular is a superpower thing it like promotes it promotes um you know it pro- promotes uh, increases in muscle mass it prevents uh, breakdown of muscle mass so therefore it improves your recovery you know you can do more training because you've got this maybe shift towards more like um you know away from carbohydrates slightly possibly um so like there's there's a whole load of things i think the key thing is is like really understanding yourself and understanding your cycle um and i think probably one of the things as well is like I probably always try and stress when I'm speaking to anyone about this is I'm not trying to use the menstrual cycle as an excuse not to do training. What I'm saying is we need to train and we need to train hard. Let's just maybe have a bit more think about when we're going to do what, because then we can get a bigger adaptation from what we're doing. So if there's a window that we can exploit, let's exploit that. If you're, if you're feeling really good at particular times, let's just go for it. And And at other times, then we'll be probably a little bit more comfortable about, you know, um, taking our foot off the gas a little bit. But I think also there's another thing in terms of because, you know, athletes have got a train, um, you know, I think also there's a bit around understanding what the negative points are or how the menstrual cycle might negatively affect something and understanding what you can do as the athlete and what your coach can do for you to turn those negatives so they're not so negative. So, if I'm really down on mood and I'm feeling really depressed or, you know, I'm just, just, just not very confident, you know, like what, what can we do to the training environment? What can we do for the session? What, what can I do as a coach in terms of, you know, how I kind of communicate with you, how I motivate you. So I think there's a whole load of other conversations around how I'm going to coach you at certain times of the menstrual cycle as well. What is it you need from me as a coach to make sure that even though we know all these things are going on is we're still going to get a good stuff out of the session. And it's about what, what you do for one person might be really different to what you do for another person. Um, and if you're working with a group of people, you can have a whole raw. I mean, that was one of the things that kind of jumped out at me when I spoke to these, um, these girls at um, these footballers is like, 
that if I was a coach, if I had 12 athletes in front of me, you've got 12 very unique, different people in front of you. So that is just a really interesting thing in itself is like, you know, who are you going to, you know, even to the extent I was thinking, you know, how, you know, do you just let that person crack on with their session and not really give them any feedback? Do you actively pair them with somebody else in the session that you know is going to be really good for them at that minute in time because they're going to make them laugh they're going to like encourage them to kind of go on or do they need somebody who's going to they're going to train with it's going to put their arm around them and go oh you know you, you know I, you know maybe not today's new not feeling great but hey let's just get this done so you know I, I like the more i think about this the more i think about as a coach the kind of just the the, the, the detail of what i do and how we interact and how i communicate i think like so it is about that question understanding the physical aspect of it understanding training what do you need to do and how are you going to fit it in to maybe work around those things but how are we going to work together to coach so i can coach you and i can be a little bit more um you know i can, I can make sure i give you what you need at certain phases as well i think that's a really interesting one though from, from an snc coaching perspective as well it adds an extra level of complexity to our periodized plan doesn't it in terms of those of us yeah. that want to kind of have a nice structured orderly excel spreadsheet that, uh, that maps everything out for those people that are sort of training themselves and they're effectively their their own coach we're taught we often use the the, um, the phrase in, in coaching don't we like train the athlete in front of you and, and what you've described is a great example of that or the importance of that if someone's taking themselves to the gym and they're going to set their own session then it's just it sounds like there's a time where we just need to be mindful mindful of what's happening and on those days where we're not feeling great but we want to train and we feel like we need to train we need to just pick something maybe that we enjoy doing something a little bit maybe in a lower intensity session or just go to have some fun and just do something but then when those those times come where you do feel good even if you had a difficult day at work or you're a bit tired you, you might want to kind of double down and, and go look I'm gonna to have to smash it and this is a little bit about just tweaking your own training month so to speak of, of how you're going to optimize those windows and knowing when your windows are as you said and just going hard at those times and going right I'm gonna gonna hit it because this is my time to get my, my real adaptation um, during this part of the month so I think there's some really uh, useful takeaways we've, we've got a, a group of as I say people who are sort of recreational trainers so if we step outside of the um the athlete population this is probably like my, my last question and Jacko you can wrap it up if you've got anything else yeah. um another one of Jenny's really was for, for people th- who are sort of aging and getting more, more closer towards that period of a life where menopause is going to start uh, becoming a realistic thing to, to think about um how do, how can people prepare for sort of an active menopause are there any things that things that people should be doing in advance of or or, um, or, or the considerations going through it. Jenny mentioned that while she's still some way off it, she's heard some absolute horror stories. Um, and I think she's looking for some, um, some ideas and some reassurance of how she can navigate that period of her life more effectively. Yeah, I, I think like one is understanding things. I think even like even for people that are, um, you know, like because like we have these things about, you know, like, you know, a point of men- uh, like, you know, menopause and all that kind of thing. But I think across your lifetime, your menstrual cycle will also change. So it doesn't stay the same. You know, you get you get a menstrual cycle when you're however old, you know, by the time you're like 35, it's it's different. And your experience of that is different. So. I think it's something that changes anyway. Um, it doesn't just change at menopause, it changes like, you know, uh, the way that you bleed, the symptoms that you get, um, they, they all, maybe the length of your cycle is going to change. So I think it's something that's changing all of the time. Um, and it, it, it's a progressive thing. Um, but I also think like, um, 
one of the key things with like the whole menopause thing is you know that loss of estrogen so we know that if um both from a health and a performance point of view is estrogen is the thing that it that increases your sensitivity to anabolic stimuli so when you go into chronic um estrogen deficiency and menopause would be one of those things that's when you start having maybe potential health things like you know bone mass muscle mass etc um so um there are obviously like medical things that people do to maybe offset some of those things but even like and i suppose that's where you know your, your strength work really comes to its own because if you know that these things are going to happen then it's really important that people especially females stay strong throughout their whole of their lifetime because you know we know that when they go into estrogen deficiency if they're not on medication then these things are likely to happen and i think like linking back to your last point which is kind of really interesting is it's the whole thing about knowledge education and planning so i think with the menstrual cycle is like often as snc coaches regardless of where our athletes are in their life cycle but the menstrual cycle it's often a reactive thing like you're reacting to that like you were saying like the person in front of you and we absolutely do train the person in front of us but we react to things we react to the menstrual cycle or the effects of the menstrual cycle but i think for me um you know that for me i would like to get to a place where it's not a reaction um and i guess that some for some athletes it's um their menstrual cycle changes all the time so it's not consistent but you do work with people where their menstrual cycle is, is it, there's a, you, you can almost like plan for these times where you can preempt, you can think, right, next week is probably going to be a deload week because we know that, you know, that's where we're at. But also like, so, so I think the message there is like, when you come to like menopause, it is something that's going to happen. And there's enough evidence medically to know what happens when we start losing these hormones. And so just kind of planning for that and, um, you know, just reinforcing the importance of strength at those particular times. And, and maybe um, for people going into that, if they understand that, maybe their adherence to those types of training or their focus and attention to, um, to, to, to actively keep muscle mass and keep bone mass might be kind of, um, I suppose, reinforced by that. Whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast, there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy. And that is the virtual classroom. If you're a beginner, we have got an eight-week free beginner's program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better, get superhuman strong, and have a lot of fun along the way. If you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle-up, then inside the virtual classroom, you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. I did have one last question, but it's... Uh... <laughs> I'll see how it goes down because I don't know. It might be one that's that's uh, a whole separate another podcast. Um, I'm sure people have written like books on everything, but um, you're talk, talking. Should save to the end, then, Jacko. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but we'll it. see. It's see, you, you easy, you can easily say uh, that I've I've written about this somewhere else or whatever, and people can go and find out more about it. But I'm just there's so much talk about obviously like this um, the changing in in the hormonal cycle and the impact that's going to have on us etc um, but there is one thing that i know a lot of people will have taken in the past or still be taking and that is the pill um, and the pill is obviously having an effect on 
that hormone balance and is that do it does that does that how much of that plays a role on changing things um do you notice a difference between people that are on the pill and not on the pill um yeah just trying to just is there is there any any more just a bit of advice around that how does that change things and um yeah good a really good question like i think i think right there's a couple of things there the first one is that um whether you're used on contraceptive or not or on the pill it's it's a, it's a lifestyle choice so i would say that um you know if we and take, are there lots of different types of pill that's not all just one pill right yeah yeah that's it so, so it's gonna be different for this year yeah and so there are different types of pill in terms of um how you, you know, their longevity, so you can have injections, you can take like, you know, pill, different contraceptive pills, you can, like within each different type of pill, there's different concentrations of hormones. So I think when people say, oh, uh, you know, I'm on the pill, um, often that's where the conversation stops. But again, there's a whole level of complexity on there. Like, you know, like what, what pill are you taking? So if you're on a progesterone only pill, Right. So you're getting that cat more of that catabolic home hormone. You could be on a progesterone only pill, whereas and also like the thing is, while it while sometimes people choose to go on the pill because they have such a bad experience of a natural cycle. It's a way of controlling those negative, you know, like the premenstrual tension. It's a way of maybe um, making training less of a pain in the backside in terms of, you know, if you're traveling, you're competing, all of those kind of things. Um, but I think also like they also, whilst they solve some problems, they create other problems. So like, for instance, weight gain, um, you know, and some of the kind of like, some people get migraines and things like that. Um, so I think like in terms of um, the pill is there to like, as you say, like flatten out those hormone levels. Now, if you go back to the argument of a, a, a window of adaptation exists either because the hormone, hormone is there or it's not there, depending on what hormone it is, there's pros and cons to both things. Um, but I, I think with I think we should have more conversations about, okay, what type of pill are you on? And how is that affecting you? You know, how is that affecting your training? How does that affect your well being? You know, maybe we could, you know, I, you know, maybe they want to explore other options that might actually work for them a little bit better. Um, and there are some maybe, um, there is a, a, a theory that um, the pill can reduce your risk of ACL. So because it, it, you don't have that big spike in estrogen and like you, um, it, you know, like you prevent that joint potential joint laxity that occurs because of that. So we know that um, the risk of ACL goes down if, um, if, you're, if you're on, if, if you're on a, a contraceptive. So there is this kind of interesting theory of, well, if I'm working with a team sport player, potentially, um, there's the menstrual cycle is a normal, healthy thing, and you can maximize those windows of adaptation. So is there, it's an interesting concept of, you know, if you're in somewhere like pre-season where you really want to increase muscle mass and, and, you know, you're doing high volumes of training, maybe a normal menstrual cycle is quite conducive to that. Whereas if you're in competition, and you're a higher, potentially at a higher risk of some types of injuries because of the amount of match play you're doing or because of accumulation fatigue across the season is the concept of maybe going on the pill in the season because you're reducing your risk of ACL. So, um, that, you know, that's maybe an interest. We talk about periodization of nutrition, you know, like so that's an interesting concept of like periodization of the pill to like maximize training and prevent kind of injury but um 
definitely like um you know contraceptive is a is a kind of definitely a big area to kind of have a look at um, I think some of the stuff I've also read as well, which um, I probably haven't explored enough, but I've read it, so it's a thing in my in my head to think about, is some of the things I've read about have said that even if somebody is on the pill, the effects of the physiological effects of the, that menstrual cycle still exist. And I think that's something to do with like nutritional, with nutritional side, because obviously like that affects your, your food cravings and all those kind of things at certain times as well. Um, but yeah, so, but again, there's, there's probably, if you look at papers that look at the contraceptive pill, they just report people are on the pill. They don't necessarily report what type of pill they're on. So again, that's probably not very useful for us because we don't really know the, the response on different types of contraceptive. Yeah. Thanks, Debbie. That's been amazing. We'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, if, if there's anyone who's sort of listening and wants some more information on this, um, is there any any good resources that you could point them towards, or could they put people get in touch with you? And if so, uh, well, how would be a good good way to do that? Yeah, I mean, like if if people like maybe if they um, maybe contact you with questions, and then maybe like if you want to chat, you know, um, yeah. channel them through to me. Like I'm happy to try, kind of kind of try and get involved. Um, Terms of resources. Um, I think the the biggest one from from listening to you speak is it's like the big the most valuable thing that people can do is start just being a bit more mindful and starting to sort of yeah, listen journal, to their own body flex, a little bit yeah. and journaling and, and do yeah. some of those practical things and then maybe go into the point of, oh, this is what my cycle looks like and then, then plug in the gaps in terms of where we can go and find specific information about different types of, of, of different periods of the cycle and that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, but if there's, any, if there's anything that you that you come, come up with and you think is worth sharing, then let us know because we can pop it in the show notes and, uh, and people can well, Obviously the book. It. Yes. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> that was your chance to plug it. Didn't uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you um, could tell you the real salesman. I like it. Well, I suppose a lot of the things that I like when I was saying I'd write that differently. A lot of the things that I'm discovering now I, are not in there. So, like, um, yeah, all of the stuff around like the psychosocial part of it, probably like not as in as in there as it maybe could be. But um, yeah, it's a massive. Uh, minefield of information but it's also really interesting like I think like as soon as people understand a little bit and they start doing that journaling thing um, they yeah. just become it's just so interesting because there's so many light bulb moments that go off of so oh that's why that happens or, oh that's why I'm thinking that or maybe I could think you know maybe when I'm training I could be thinking about doing this or doing that or maybe just programming things differently so the 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 insight and the and the, the way that you do things might be really different um, yeah. after you've done that. And equally, you will also have people that actually, it doesn't seem to make any difference whatsoever. So, you you, you know, but even just knowing that, or well, yeah. that just means I can, you know. Well, I, yeah, I and it's... And it's still a good practice to to be journaling and reflecting on your own training. Anyway, I I'll challenge challenge myself, but I challenge everyone out there that you could whether you're doing it for the purpose of tracking your. Um, if, we, I don't know whether many have, have guys made it all the way to the end of the podcast or not. But if you if you have, like, challenge you on on you know journaling, reflecting, documenting on how your like training is going and what you how you're feeling from those different sessions and the effect on that because it's all good valued information that's going to be able to equip you better to plan your training for the following week and, and following months um obviously it's like of utmost importance for for you for in the in that female context but i think it's something that that we should all be trying to do i know that i i'm saying it because it's coming from me i know that i need to do that more rather than just going oh what do i fancy doing today and 
going, oh, I felt crap today. Why was that? And I haven't even, I've not even considered what I did like last week or whatever. Um, yeah, it strikes me as a real frontier of sports science, this area, Debbie. I think it's yeah. really interesting and exciting what you're doing. And um, it definitely puts a, it makes me reflect back on how I've coached female athletes in the past and, and realise that there was a large part of that puzzle which I was unaware of. So I think it's a, it's a great a great area that you're you're bringing a level of expertise to. So thank you for sharing your, your um, knowledge, experience and, and wisdom on the podcast today. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I, I, I think I don't know if I answered all of your questions in there. I don't think I answered the RPE one in the way that you intended. But, don't worry. Um, oh, no, I think you and, you, you did yeah, and yeah. more. Um, oh. No, definitely. It was really good. Really, really good. We probably should have another female on to just make it an easy 50-50, even 50-50 split. It's still a bit male dominant, aren't we? But yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I think one of the things that's quite key, though, is like, but but girls don't do this, you see, like, which I think is really valuable is girls just talking about their experience to other girls and even to Mm. guys, you know, like, so like, I always say like when guys ask me questions, I'm like, have you got a sister? Ask your sister, you know, I did. It's just like, because your sister's going to tell you how it is. And like, you're going to know, like, cause you live, like if you've lived with your sister, like you're going to know, you're going to know. So like, it's like I've got a um, sister Debbie I'm not if I rock up next time and go let's talk about your menstrual cycle <laughs> she's gonna do it what about if I what about if I asked Tim's sister about her menstrual cycle <laughs> even even worse I think girls like girls don't even talk about their menstrual cycle to other girls really you know like yeah. and that you know so I just think like getting talking and just make not not making a big thing of it but just like it's not you know you can just you can you can just talk about it and I think like one of the key things that I think also is really difficult is even if you even if you like even if you um think that this is a thing that's quite important there's 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 almost a jump of right well how are we gonna what does that mean for us and how we operate in our institution like what how do we even start introducing that you know without it being weird so like what are those real basic steps of you know, going from not talking about it at all to actually introducing it. And, you know, and I, I think one of, you know, the journaling thing's really kind of a good thing because, you know, they don't have to share that with you. It could just be, um, you know, they might share it with you and hopefully they would if you've got a really good relationship with them anyway. Um, but it might just, as a self-reflection tool, it's going to help them anyway. But then if they start sharing it, um, and I think once, if you're, an, and I understand that for guys, it might be a little bit less easy to do this, but like if you just start asking questions about the journal and what you're seeing, I think girls actually are quite open and they, you know, that if you speak to a lot of girls, they're actually quite relieved that people want to have these conversations about them. And I think girls, because they don't talk about it, they, some of them don't, I mean, one of the good things about this journal thing is, you know, the, the normal menstrual cycles, natural, it's healthy. And I think people have an idea about what healthy is and whether, you know, and it's only when they talk to other people that they start realizing, oh, you know, um, maybe, you know, I feel like really bad and I'm in bed for like five days. Like this person does not affect it at all. It's just that gauge of, you know, is this normal? And, you know, do I need, you know, is it, have I actually got something that maybe something somebody can help me with, like a doctor or a, do you know what I mean? Like it's just like they just don't have any, benchmark of what normal is and it's only when they start talking to other people that you start to realize you know are you you having the same experience as everyone else or are you having things that no one else seems to have and that's you know that's that's an interesting kind of question but well and i really i think really hope and i'm sure it will this 
some there'll be some people listening to this podcast that will because of of you um that this will be hopefully the sort of ignition and the catalyst to help them you know have more of those conversations and start to document things and start to actually like um really take uh, well I, I like that phrase that we said in one of the questions and you mentioned like use it to their superpower rather than it being um something that at times is potentially um you know holding back their their training so it's been uh yeah and it's been really as tim said before really enlightening and um yeah our absolute pleasure to have you onto the podcast thank you so debbie what an absolute pleasure thank you so much there's nothing else to say apart from until next time class dismissed so thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good keep it five are the best five of your best stars please (laughs) and if you would like to find out more about the school of calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got head over to our virtual classroom you can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com and that is where we have got literally possibly the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world definitely the best one we've done and on that note until next week class dismissed